turn to the book of Jude. Uh, we're going to pick up going from our last Wednesday study. Uh, we stopped at verse 9, 9 or 10. So we're going to pick up again starting at verse 10 today and uh, making our way all the way to verse 16, hopefully. So, man, thank you guys, by the way, for coming out here. That was cool. You guys, you guys are here for 70 degree weather and zero degree weather and it's freezing out there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's it's cold. Well, at least for me, I'm Arizona, right? Um, well, let's go ahead and get started. In Jude chapter, well, there's only one chapter, but in verse 10, um, by the way, in these 12 verses, uh, verses 5 through 16, you know, we talked last week that there are some illustrations of, you know, some Old Testament examples and future events, really, and we'll see that today, uh, dealing with the point that these people, these men, these ungodly men, according to verse 4, who creep into basically the church, they bring their false doctrine and their false, you know, their wackiness, but they creep in on notice and, and they begin to just infiltrate the church, if you will. And so we've been going over some of the il- examples and illustrations, if you will, <clears throat> as to the, the, really the, the direction of where these ungodly people are going to go, which is destruction. And so with each illustration, it's explaining over and over and over that for sure these type of people, they will be punished. There will be destruction coming their way and it won't it's not just one example it's not just two example which is already enough but it's example after example after example and I think there was 11 of them if I counted right um, so what we'll, that's what we're going over today is there these people are well they're false teachers basically and they <clears throat> they come against the word of God and they did their desire is really to fulfill the, the, the lust of their own flesh and to draw us away from the love that we have for the Lord. And it's a very, very scary, scary thing, uh, but it's biblical. Paul warned the church uh, for three years. He was warning the church uh, about these type of people that would come in. Uh, and, and already today we see it all a lot, right? Um, so this letter starts off as a reminder to us of things we should already know in the church, right? So it's a, just a reminder uh, because it's so easy for us to get sucked into these theologies, these false teachings, if you will. And oftentimes these ungodly men, they, they seem to creep into the church, you know, um, really unknowingly, right? They're the ones with the smiles. They're the ones, you know, uh, they're very nice. They're kind. They're maybe even knowledgeable. And they, they all that stuff. But their purpose is to draw us away from the word of God. And it's very, very scary. And this is a reminder to us, right? So in verses 5 to 9, we looked at four of these illustrations that Jude brought up. And they're very, very interesting. In verse 5, we looked at Israel as the nation. And they rebelled against God and they were disobedient. And because of that, they were destroyed. And we looked in verse 6 at the angels. These are the, the fallen angels, if you will. And Jude mentioned how they left their own uh, habitation, basically. And we looked at verse 7 at Sodom and Gomorrah and how they went after strange flesh. 
And we looked in verses 8 and 9 at Michael the archangel who contended with Lucifer, with Satan himself, uh, concerning the body of Moses. When Moses died, he was buried there on the mountain and, and somehow there's this, you know, uh, conversation, if you will, about the body of Moses. And I guess Satan wanted his body for what reason, who knows. Uh, but there was, there was some kind of contention there. And Michael the archangel said, you know, the, the Lord rebuke you. He allowed Jesus to be, in, in, in a sense, in the center between him and Satan instead of just taking him on himself, right? And uh, so that was encouraging. Uh, but we'll, we'll pick up the study in verse 10 and we'll go to verse 16 today. Let's look at verse 10. <clears throat> it says, But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally, like brute beast, in these things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and have run greedily, in the heir of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are spots in your love feast, and while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves, they are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea foaming up their own shame, wandering stars from whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all and to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lust, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. So, whew, <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot here. Uh, before we get into these illustrations today, I want to slow down and stop and consider a statement that Jude says right here in verse 10. And I see two things that we should see before we start. Number one, it really involves uh, what they don't know. Notice in verse 10, uh, it says, But these speak evil of whatever they do not know. Uh, and according to verse 4, these is speaking of who? It's these men that creep into the churches, right? They're, they creep into the households. They, they're the false teachers, if you will. And... The first thing that Jude does in explaining to them in this first really statement is, is what they don't know. What they don't know, they speak evil of, right? It says, so that word know, by the way, is edo, to see, to look, to be aware of uh, from a physical standpoint. And which means they looked into something with their own eyes, they saw that it was right there, and they decided to just speak evil about it. Even though they didn't know what it was, they, they spoke evil about it. And they, were, they weren't even able to comprehend it, but yet they were going to speak evil about it. And this is interesting because I think oftentimes we do the same thing. We need to be very careful uh, where we see something and we make a really 
immediate, quick evaluation of what it is, the situation or the snare or whatever it is, and we begin to speak evil regarding it. We've got, we got to be very careful. I think um, back in, I don't know how many years ago, years ago, right, um, I, I, was, uh, I, I love giving the gospel. It's, it's what I do. It's, uh, I love it. But um, there's a certain crowd that I wanted to reach, and they're the skaters, right? They're the skater guys. And I noticed when I came up to them to talk, they wouldn't even, like, talk to me at all because I'm in these preppy clothes, you know, and it's like, we're not going to talk to that guy. So I went out and got some pants, and I got these skater shoes. I got a, a skateboard even, right, with a big cross on it. And, uh, and now I go, I don't even know how to skate, right? So I'm just a poser. I just carry it. And that was the whole purpose, right? Just, just an open conversation. Um, and, and it was great. People, they did open up, and I was able to give the gospel. But there was other people who would look at me and be like, oh, look at that skater kid. Oh, oh. <laughs> and they would say all this stuff. But inwardly, it was like, whoa, dude, you don't even know me. Like, I'm on a mission right here. Right, and they immediately they just put me into another you know view, if you will. So we got to be very careful uh, of that stuff. Um, secondly, uh, it involves what they do know. So first of all, it was what they don't know, and secondly, it's what they do know. Notice in verse ten, it says, "And whatever they know naturally, like brute beast, in these things they corrupt themselves." Uh, and like the, again, the word know means to comprehend, to understand, to have a knowledge of, in, in a sense, right? It speaks of the things they know, the things they understand naturally. And by the way, that word naturally carries the idea of uh, the physical body sexually, in a sense, right? Sexuality. And we would say they know their bodies in that sense. Uh, we would say they know that, you know, man and woman are to go together. They know Adam and Eve, right? They just know it's a moral code, if you will. It's built into everybody. You have to rebel against that code in, in a sense of what God, you know, uh, put in us naturally. And, and they twisted this into something that is unnatural, something that's an abomination to the Lord. And they do what Sodom and Gomorrah did. They speaking of, uh, really, of anything sexual outside of a natural marriage from a man and a woman. And they corrupt it because of their lustful desires, right? And and uh, it's disgusting. But this is interesting because Jude mentions that these are like brute beasts, right? He, he, he puts them as animals who are just brutal to each other and how they interact with each other in a sense. And I, immediately my brain uh, went to school right where in school what do they teach us right you're an animal you here's your ancestor the monkey (laughs) and before that you used to be nothing but chemicals and if that's the case who where did morality come from right why do you care if I'm on top of the desk acting like a monkey right like stop acting like well you said I was a monkey (laughs) what do you expect right what why would they punish me because of that but it's so it's all wacky. It's all messed up, right? They say you're nothing, and no wonder people live their lives and the actions that they do. They go out and do things because who cares? We're like animals. And so when it comes to marriage, um, these men are in that comparison of uh, like Sodom and Gomorrah. They they don't care about what the natural. Uh, 
reason why God put us together, and they act like a wild beast, like an animal. What do animals do? They, they go off of instinct, right? We don't go off of instinct, right? In marriage, in a biblical marriage, we are to be holy, right? We are to do things uh, appropriately in impurity, right? Clean. We're not animals. We don't run off of instinct. We run off of love in that sense. So, um, anyways, it's it's just very interesting that they they uh, that Jude brings that up. But this sign, this is a sign of really the Antichrist, and we talked about it in First John um, of the, the time that we live in and what's going on um, and and how all this is to be happening. But let's go ahead and start <clears throat> in Jude. The first illustration, let's start with the first one, it's Cain, Cain. The first illustration is of Cain in verse 11. He says, it says, woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit. So you are all familiar with, you know, Cain and Abel. In fact, turn with me to Genesis chapter 4, Genesis chapter 4. I just want to show you guys something right here. Genesis chapter 4. Notice it says in verse 1, Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. And now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruits of the ground to the Lord. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. Now, you guys remember Cain, he's a tiller of the ground, Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and God had told them, right, to bring an offering to him, and Abel brought his, well, the firstling of of the flock, if you will, and Cain brought of the first fruit of the ground. And so Abel's sacrifice ended up being accepted before the Lord, and Cain's was unaccepted, you know, before the Lord. And some say Abel brought and the reason they say is, is because Abel brought a sacrifice, an animal sacrifice, if you will, and that represents the blood sacrifice, pointing really to the cross, pointing to Jesus, the ultimate sacrifice. Uh, it was an example, if you will, of what Christ would do on the cross. And Cain just brought a carrot from, or uh, Abel from, a carrot from the ground, basically, right? So I'm not sure that that's the case, since Cain did bring the first fruit from the crop, if you will. You guys remember in Leviticus that part of the offering of the first fruits uh, is, is basically the first of anything, right? The first of any kind of increased. And it's not just an animal sacrifice. It's a, a sacrifice of anything that you receive. And, and that's a, a little thing that my wife and I apply as well to our own marriage of any increase we receive, we give it back a certain portion back onto the Lord. And so I don't think that's what's typified here at all. Um, why was Cain's sacrifice unacceptable? Well, the Bible does tell us, and I am thankful for this, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, immediately it says, By faith, 
There it is. There's the answer. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous in God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. So it had nothing to do with what he brought, but rather everything to do with uh, how he brought it, right? If you think about it. In other words, he brought it by the flesh. It was the work of the flesh and not of faith. And I believe God is not you know, overly concerned um, as to what we bring before him, but why we brought whatever it is before him, right? Everything we bring before him ought to be holy. It ought to be acceptable. It ought to be a sacrifice. It ought to cost you something, right? And, and that's what worship is. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, um, ultimately, um, I think it's because of the motive behind our, our actions, right? And ultimately, I, I know that we're all going to be judged based on our motive. Why did you give what you gave when you gave that away, right? And 1 Corinthians 3.13, it says, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. So very, very interesting, something good to take note of. But Cain became so angry when his offering was not accepted. In fact, look at verse 5. It said, but he did not respect Cain and his offering, and Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the, at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. In fact, his anger boiled so much to the point that 1 John 3.12 tells us that his works were evil. <laughs> that was, they're evil. So what, his, what was his evil works? Well, we know later on, if you guys know Genesis 4, he ended up doing what? He murdered his brother, right? Uh, because of anger in his heart, he murdered his brother. And anger will always lead to death unless it's taken care of, unless it's handed over, unless it's brought before the Lord. And this is speaking of the consequences, really, of these men, going back to Jude, um, verse 4, that's these men who, they think that they could creep into the churches, they could, they could do whatever they want. Uh, here is something that they... They ought to be, woe is them, right? And we ought to understand woe is them because of their judgment coming their way. It's a scary and a frightful thing uh, to even speak the word in a false manner, in a false way. Um, and uh, I'm pretty sure a lot of us, under I know even my stomach understands it. Every time I get up here, it's like, <laughs> it's going crazy. You should have seen me on Sunday. I was like, oh, I can't get up. Oh, man. But it's, it's just literally, physically, I feel it because I'm in awe. I have to bring an account before the Lord one day. I'm going to be judged based on the words I spoke. And, and that's kind of why I do the outline format. I just want to stay on track, right? Make sure I'm just getting the word of God and not anything else. So uh, very, very interesting. But um, I look at certain people 
who do have anger issues. You know, you see them in the cars when they're driving. Rah, 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 rah. <laughs> it's like, whoa, calm down. Uh, some of them try to cover it up with alcohol. Some try to cover up with drugs. Some try to cover it up in different ways. Um, but it could be coming out through a sharp tongue, right, where you, you just cut somebody down really, really sharply. And uh, it could be in different ways that people display this anger. And, and uh, it could be the walk that you have, right? Just, it's interesting. But Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, it says, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. So let no anger specifically spring up within us, right? We need to uh, see it as it is, take care of it, deal with it, hand it to the Lord. And as you do, that's an act of worship as well. Did you guys realize that? You're giving up something that you really love, even though you know it's something bad, uh, but you're letting it go. You're giving it into the hands of the Lord. You're allowing the Lord, to entrusting it to the Lord, right? In other words, he took it upon the cross. Stop trying to get it back down, right? <laughs> Let it go, right? Let the, let the Lord handle it. Um, it's really scary how we can um, we can really damage somebody's entire life uh, by cutting them down, by being angry with them, and just being so quick not to think and tearing them apart. And then next thing you know, they're they're probably you know losing their life because of it, right? They were so broken over it. So we, our words, and we could go through a whole study, you guys know, it's like a fire, right? In a forest and just push, the whole thing could catch on really quick. So we really got to be very careful and very discerning uh, with the words that we speak to each other. We ought to be an encouragement. Uh, but Cain, he ended up going, uh, was it west? West of the garden and all east of the garden and, and uh, to the land of Nod. And that's, you're always going to go away from the Lord, right? When you fall into sin. It's, it's always going to be far from. And uh, a lot of people in America, they turn to the East uh, to hear the philosophies of man, to be directed by them and the, the doctrines of man and all these religions. And you got Muslim faith, right, rising up. And, and there's a faith that, you know, they, they encourage the anger. They encourage, you know, kill the infidel. They don't follow you. Behead them and do this to them. And this is, this is true Muslim faith. Uh, and don't be deceived if you guys go to, they're, they're very sneaky at like, oh, no, no, that's just the other type of Muslim. We're, we're the loving type, right? We're the initial, like, get you in the door type. And, uh, but the real, if you really want to serve your God, according to their faith, uh, it's very, very scary. You got you to hold to the whole book, and you still have no assurance of salvation. So, interesting. Um, let's come to the second thing before I keep going <laughs> Uh, the second illustration in verse 10 is that of Balaam. That of Balaam. Notice, and this is another familiar story from Numbers chapter 22 through 24. Um, in fact, turn to Numbers chapter 22. Numbers chapter 22. Uh, the children of Israel, they came out of Egypt, the, the king's highway, if you will. They traveled alongside the back, uh, backside of the plains of Moab. And here you have the king of Moab with all the Moabites, right, the, the, the armies, if you will. And they're looking, and I always picture just up on the mountain range, they're looking down and they see that area of, what, two to three million 
Israelites, they just crossed the Red Sea, they're coming in, they're conquering land, and, and it says, you know, that they were, everywhere they went, they were like locusts. They just devoured everything that, everything they stepped on and went to, and the king uh, is just terrified, right? They're traveling north toward him, and uh, so the king Mo- of the Moabites, the king Balak, uh, he sent some of his servants, he's the son of Beor, uh, over to Balaam, uh, the son of Beor, and said to him, hey, come over and curse the children of Israel, right? They're, they're on the way over here, and uh, so they summon him, they say, you know, Balaam, King Balak has summoned you to come and uh, to curse the people, right? And so Balaam sought the Lord, and the next morning he woke up and told the servants, you know, uh, uh, Balak, that he couldn't go, right? He couldn't curse them, since the Lord told them that, you know, not to go with them. So the servants, they come back, tell the king, hey, he didn't want to come back, he didn't want to curse the children of Israel, and uh, so the king sends back more honorable men with more wealth, and keep an eye on, that's the key word, right? The wealth part, surely the more money he gets, then surely he'll be like, oh, actually, yeah, maybe I will go, right? So that's the idea. Uh, and they, they tell Balaam, you know, Balak really wants you to come to curse the children of Israel. And so he sought the Lord that night, and the Lord said, you know, basically go, right? And God knew that Balaam was in it for the money, that he was going to go no matter what, and his heart was not right. So God let him do what he wanted to do anyways. He was going to do it. And this is, by the way, what we call the permissible will of God. Not the perfect will of God, but the permit. Hey, he knew they're going to go anyways, right? And he's, so he's allowing him, all right, you're going to go? In other words, against my will, right? Because he already told him not to go. And so Balaam, as he was heading over, the Lord sent an angel, basically, to kill Balaam. And the donkey saw the angel, basically, right? There's the fiery sword, and uh, the donkey obviously gears off, right? And off track, and the donkey went off to the left and hit Balaam's foot against basically a rock wall. And Balaam's like super angry, uh, and out of anger, he hits the, the donkey, right? Uh, the donkey didn't want to go anywhere. The donkey sat down, if anything, right? And he's like, oh, you dumb thing. And Balaam hit him and, uh, a second time and a third time. That's when the donkey turned around and looked at Balaam and said, and look at Numbers 22, look at verse 28. It says, Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you, that you have struck me these three times? Now, <laughs> If that's not scary enough, right, I would be panicking at that moment. He's so angry, he could care less. In fact, it gets even worse. Verse 29, it says, And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have abused me, I wish there were a sword in my hand, for now I would kill you. <laughs> it's like, oh my goodness, he's talking back now to the donkey. Um, but the angel of the Lord appeared before Balaam, and just to summarize, this is a whole bunch of chapters we can't go over, but uh, pretty much told Balaam, you know, the donkey basically saved your life, right? And and uh, you better be nice to him. <laughs> kind of, that's in my own words. But uh, very, very interesting. But the angel told him, you know, you're, you're going on your journey, but don't curse the children of Israel, right? So Balaam shows up to Balak. Balak says, okay, look, there's the children of Israel. Curse them now. And, and Balaam's like, all right, give me 
build seven altars, seven sacrifices, right? We're going to burn to the, the, the Lord here. And, and uh, they, so they did. And then, then Balaam comes and then he blesses the children of Israel. And then he's like, oh, what did you do? I told you to curse them. We are blessing them. He's like, okay, okay. Let's do another seven altars and another seven sacrifices. Second time blesses the children of Israel. The third time does the exact same thing. It's like, oh man, right? But Balak was getting super, super mad with them. Like, are you kidding me? I'm going to kill you. But Balaam's like, hold on, hold on. I, I got it. Okay. You want to destroy the children of Israel. This is not how you're going to do it. But I know how to bring down the nation, basically, of, of Israel. And he tells the king how to overcome them is basically send in your women, the Moabites, right? Send them in, right? Let them show some skin, and, and it's going to catch the attention of the men of Israel, and they're going to give in, right? So they gave in to, sexually gave in to them, and, and also adopted their idols as well. In fact, in Revelation, oh, I don't have it, chapter 2, verse 14, we're told that Balaam um, used sexual immorality. So Balaam said, you know, I can't curse them, but here's what you do. And, and so they did, and it actually worked. Um, and all of this was based on greed. In the, in the greed, they ran greedily in the era of Balaam for profit. That's the idea. He, was, he, he kept going and going and going for money. That was the purpose of his heart, to gain and gain and gain and get and receive. And this is a simple point, but it's very important for us today. These certain men... Uh, who creep into the church, who bring these false doctrines, they're only in it for the money, right? It's very, very sad. Um, I, I look at a lot of these Christian uh, TV shows and maybe some radio shows, and it's very sad that millions of people donate to these things. And all I hear when I listen to their stuff is money, 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 right? Literally, they're like, put it, put it all right here on the steps, and they're running through all the money, and it's like, wow, that's not... A ministry, you begin to read, read the Bible and you're like, okay, I've been deceived. <laughs> what have I been doing my whole life, right? Listening to this stuff. And it's very, very sad. But it's, it's also prophecy. Uh, we know in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, it says, But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful and unholy. And it goes on. Um, so you guys get the idea. Very sad. I could go on forever talking about, you know, all these negative things that, that people are doing today. But let's go on to the third illustration in Jude. And in verse 11, it's Korah. Korah. It says, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Now the rebellion of Korah is found in Numbers chapter 16. And God had chose Moses to lead the children of Israel and uh, out of Egypt. And God chose his brother Aaron to be of the priestly line, basically, uh, because they were both from the, uh, the line of Levi. And by the way, all 
the priests were Levites, but not all the Levites were priests. And because of the separation of the lineage of the line of Adam or Aaron's descendants would be the priests, right? So who offered the, they offered the sacrifices to the Lord. They put on the priestly robes. They're the ones that were able to take some of the, the meat, if you will, from the sacrifices and eat it themselves, right? And, and, uh, but the rest of the Levites were unable to do that stuff. And all of the other descendants of Levi, including the Korathites, right? The, the descendants of Korah, um, they would assemble at the tabernacle and take it down and day to day, you know, doing the services, bringing in the wood, bringing in the oil, you know, putting up the tabernacle, tearing it apart. They would do all the labor, basically. And they just got to a point where they're looking at the other Levites, right, the priest uh, Levites, and they, they were like, you know, why are they so holy? We're of, the, of Levi as well. And how come they get to do all the, you know, clean clothes and, you know, they're always washing their hands a certain way and they get to eat a certain way. They all got the bellies, right? And here we are picking up all this heavy stuff. I mean, this isn't fair. And they, they threw a big fit about it. And, and so they got mad at Moses uh, because of their brother, right? In other words, they got jealous and they got angry at them, uh, and so they rebelled, and Moses said, okay, if you think you've taken, you know, too much, I've taken too much upon myself, then he says, you think the priests were not the only ones who were holy unto the Lord? I'll, I'll tell you, you know, if, if they were so special, because this is the reason why they're so special. It's because God chose them. It was God who ordained them. It was God who appointed them and picked them. And they didn't believe him. So Moses offered them a challenge. By the way, this is all 250 of them, right? I'm going to give you guys a challenge. And he says, tomorrow, if you don't, why don't you guys all bring your, your little, either censers with fire and incense and, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll bring ours. We'll all meet at the tabernacle tomorrow and we'll let God decide who's holy unto him, right? And Moses said, if the descendants of Korah die a natural death, then there it is. Then I'm wrong and you're right. But if something supernatural were to happen, I don't know, say, I don't know, maybe the ground will start to open up and, and immediately as he was speaking that next day, the ground opened up and swallowed up all the Korathites, right? These descendants of Korah who rebelled against the authority of Moses and Aaron. And, and it swallowed them up. They perished. And then the idea here is these false teachers are rebelling against the authority of Scripture and, and uh, God's word. And anytime anybody does this, they're going to see destruction. And how prideful, how rebellious uh, is it to think that our way is better than God's way, right? It's God, God, I know you're doing that, but, you know, this is how you do it, Lord. Uh, you know, I know I'm only, you know, so old, but let me just give you some counsel. <laughs> that people actually do that. If you listen to people's prayers, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah. But um, there's people that... Uh, uh, it's it's a sad thing, but I'll, I'll skip all that. You guys understand that. But what what is the word? It really comes down to the word. The word is truth. It's the word that guides us, that directs us, that leads us and guides us into all truth, right? Jesus said in John 17, 17, he says, um, your word, sanctify them by your word. Your word is truth. It's the truth. 
And Psalm 119, verse 105, it says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It's the word, right? And it tells us what to do, where to go, um, you know, how to live our life, basically, and what to say. So go back to Jude. There's another one there that they... uh, so here they are, you know, resisting authority of Scripture. Here's an, a, another example. It's spots, number four, in verse 12. These are spots, it says. So he likens these certain men to spots. And spots can have a double meaning. It could be the meaning of uh, on-scene spots. In other words, uh, the illustration of a ship out in the water. And it can't see these rocks underneath. And it hits the rocks and the ship you know, gets destroyed and everybody perishes on there. Um, it could be speaking of those spots, or it could also be speaking of spots that are very evident, very visible. Um, I was thinking of, uh, I went to Chick-fil-A, and of course you got to get the, the Chick-fil-A sauce, right? And you got to throw it all on there, and then you put the bread on top, and then it's like, oh, and you bite into that thing, and it fell all over me. And I was like, oh, that's why people wear bibs, right? There you go. But it was a huge, noticeable spot, right? And everybody's like, oh, you, you got something right there. And it's like, oh, man, right? But that's the spots that were there. You can see it. It's right there. And so uh, they're very obvious. Um, so this could be referring to either or, right, when it's talking, it's talking about spots. By the way, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Jude says, These are stains in your love feast, and they are not fearful. And get the picture. After church, uh, they would gather together, you know, after studying through the Word of God, and they would have a feast. They would eat lunch, basically, uh, afterward. And at the end of each meal, they would have communion, and they would, you know, come to the table of the Lord, in a sense, and they would celebrate uh, really what Jesus did for them upon the cross. And speaking of what, you know, his death and burial of uh, what he did, but these certain men would stand out, right? Like a stain, like a spot. And and out during this time when they would come together for these feasts, and in, in fact, in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 20, Paul talks a lot about them, by the way. But he says, therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not... It is not is is it is not to eat the Lord's supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others, and one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Right? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you, for I receive from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, and do this in remembrance of me. Well, they, these people, and you guys know the context here, right? They, they were just there not for communion. They were there for the meal. They were there for themselves. And uh, they were only concerned about themselves, right? Eating and drinking themselves. And Paul encourages them, when they come together, focus on the Lord, right? These men just wanted to serve themselves, to be filled, to be drunk. And, and I know we, we can't always, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? If there's a potluck, 
Everybody brings something, a big meal, and then there's the one, the only one that doesn't bring anything, and it seems like their plates like, right? And they're just like, oh, I'm gonna go get seconds over here. And you're like, oh. man, that guy. But it's almost like that, right? They stand out, and you kind of know who they are. Um, but uh, so very interesting, and there's a lot more there. I encourage you guys to research it. But let's come to the fifth illustration. Go back to Jude. Uh, and it's in verse 12, and it's clouds. They are clouds without water carried about by the winds. So those in Israel would easily understand this because the clouds would be coming in. What do clouds do? Well, the rain comes down and immediately it nourishes the ground or brings the crops and, you know, uh, there's a whole lot of benefits for it, right? You're able to feed uh, the animals and, and whatnot. Um, so these clouds would be looked at as like hope, basically, right? They'd see it, and they'd see hope. And then it would come, and they would be blessed and be dancing and excited. Well, these men are the type of clouds that come, and everybody's so excited about them, but there's no rain. There's no nothing genuine about them, nothing real about them. There's nothing that they actually give to anybody else because they're only in it for themselves, right? And uh, that's... They're the clouds with no water, really to, to sustain anything or anyone. So the next illustration is in verse 12, and it is trees. Trees. It says, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. So these trees are twice dead. They're not only gone through the winter cycle as if they were dead, but they're basically dead from the root as well. And they're fruitless. We need to be aware of these guys. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 3, verse 10, he says, And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That is the ultimate end of these guys. It's destruction, right? They'll get pulled up by the roots and thrown in the fire. That's where they go. And what's the problem with this right here, I think it's twofold. They Number one, they didn't know the Lord. And number two, they're not abiding in the Lord. Uh, abiding in the Lord, that's where the fruit comes, right? John chapter 15, you guys can read that whole chapter on your own. Fruit is the byproduct, really, of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And the work of the Holy Spirit is really evident in the life of the believer. You guys can look at Galatians chapter 5, uh, verse 22 just to see who's who, right? To see, do I see fruit or do I not see fruit? Very simple. Let's come to the seventh thing. It's their their waves. Their, the illustration is their waves. In verse 13, raging waves of the sea foaming up their own shame. Now, waves are powerful. They can bring, you know, trash on the beach and ships ashore and they can destroy homes with floods. Uh, and they're very destructive. And Jude likens them to these waves as well. But they're also, they're, the eighth illustration is they're stars. They're stars. Notice in verse 13, wandering stars from whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. And I don't think he's talking about, you know, the planets and the, the stars that are out there in the solar system. I think he's talking about more of like the shooting stars, right? Where it's like, shoo, shoo. Um, 
I was able to be up north uh, maybe two years ago with the longs and, and uh, at their house. And it happened to be like a meteor shower or something out there that night. And it was so cool just to see, shoo, shoo. And you're like, oh, look at that sound. There it goes. Oh, oh, there's another one. Oh, there it goes. Right? It's so exciting when you see it. But then when it's gone, it's like, ah, right? Um, but Jude might be talking about these shooting stars where it's just so amazing when you see them, but then they're gone, right? And then it's like, oh, they're, they're just gone into blackness and darkness forever, it seems. But this is speaking of these certain men, uh, these people that come on the scene, and they got this new thought, this new trend, this new clothing style, this new way of talking, this new way of doing things, this new doctrine, if you will. But they use the Bible. They're the, you know, then today... For the college age, it's the, it's the hippie type version of, you know, like I could do whatever I want with my hair, I could do the tattoo thing, I could do the, you know, I could go ahead and drink with my pastor type thing. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's the thing, right? Where if you guys, the young guys, you guys know, that you, that's kind of the thing right now for the churches. A lot of the younger churches, it's more of, you know, how much of the world can we be and still be Christian. Yay, look at that, right? And and uh, it's very interesting. But they it sounds good, and then we ooh and ah, but then they're gone all of a sudden. It's like, where'd they go? <laughs> like They're gone. They leave us with nothing in the end, right? And so this, the, the ninth one, the ninth illustration here in Jude is the second coming, the second coming, according to verse 14. It says, now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. Uh, Enoch was the seventh from Adam, right? Genesis chapter 5. He walked with God and he was no more. And we might say he was raptured, basically. According to Hebrews 11, verse 5, it says, by faith Enoch, and keep an eye on that word faith, right? By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found, but because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God, right? Enoch had prophesied about these false men when and where, I have no clue. <laughs> Nowhere in the Bible do I, can I find this prophecy that it says, and Enoch said, but where did he say it? I don't know. Some people say maybe the Apocrypha books, maybe uh, from the book of Enoch. I have no clue. Um, so interesting. Look at verse 14, though. It says, saying, Behold, the Lord, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them all, of all their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So you and I are the living in the church age, right? Which means the rapture of the church, the uh, we could be taken up any moment. That's what it's really speaking of. The body of believers, God's going to call his bride, and they're aware of it, right? You're, you're waiting. You got your, your uh, lamp going, in a sense. And this begins the 70th week of Daniel, uh, the um, Jacob's trouble, you can call it. And at the end of the seven years, Revelation chapter 19, verse 16, Jesus comes back to earth with ten thousands and upon ten thousands upon ten thousands of his saints. That's you and me as the body of Christ. And we are coming back with the, army, with the armies of heaven. By the way, this is the second judgment. The first judgment was 
Well, the first coming, I should say, was not for judgment. The second one's more for judgment against two, against these type of people who are ungodly, who are uh, false teachers, if you will, uh, according to Matthew chapter 25, verse 32 and on. Uh, but we come with him and he does all the work, right? We're watching him judge the ungodly. And so very interesting. But Jude ends this section with another statement in verse 16. And we'll end with this. These are grumblers, complainers, walking to, to their own lust. And they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. These are serious issues, guys. Um, Jude tells us plainly that these ungodly men, they're only in it for themselves, right? And their desire is really to draw us away from our relationship with the Lord, and but we are to contend for our faith, right, that was given to us. And we need to be men and women of the word of God. We got to be praying on our knees, really, for that discernment, for that grace from the Lord to be able to discern Who's who? Because they're going to creep into the church. How are you going to address it? Are you going to address it at all? Right? A lot of churches don't. And uh, we need to be walking in the truth and what the Bible says. Not according to our feelings. Not according to popular opinion poll. Not according to anything else but the word of God. Right? We need to just look at the word. That's what it says. That's what I'm going to do. Amen, church? So let's continue to draw close to the Lord and... and, uh, Continue to study the word for ourselves and just know uh, that it's God's church. And he's, he's going to draw his church where he wants. But I want to be the one that wants to be obedient during that time, right? To go wherever the Lord wants. And I know that's the same for you as well. And so uh, I'm encouraged that you guys already are like that. And it's a, that's, we're a blessed church. Did you guys realize that? We really are a blessed church. The more I'm looking into some other churches, it's like, oh, man. <laughs> we got so much going on for us, we don't even realize it. It's so good. But, uh, but with that, protect it. Protect it by staying in the word. Stay in prayer, right? That's, it's, it's, we got to be dependent upon the Lord uh, in all things, even so much so today. But let's go ahead and stand, and uh, we'll go ahead and pray. Give this to the Lord. I think the children's ministry is going to be mad at me. They told me to go longer tonight. But, so, you guys might want to wait another five minutes to get your kids. But let's pray. Lord, thank you so much uh, for tonight. Thank you for your word. And, oh, Lord, it just seems like, oh, I don't want to hear about destruction of the ungodly. And But it's your word, Lord. And it's, it's you who is telling us these things. And it's you who wants to wake us up to this area of realizing uh, that there shouldn't be any compromise within our own hearts. Uh, and I pray, Lord, that we would be uh, walking in the fear of you, that your fear uh, that you've instilled within us, Lord, would protect us, Lord, from uh, gearing away from you as a rebellious uh, a sheep, Lord, would do. Um, protect us, Lord. Watch over us. Keep us safe through your word, Lord, that we would look to you and, and just trust you with our entire life, and, uh, and we do, Lord. We love you, and uh, we give you this night. I pray that you protect everyone here uh, on their way home and, and, uh, and be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. God's going to call his bride, and they're aware of it, right? You're, you're waiting. You got your, your uh, lamp going, in a sense. And this begins the 70th week of Daniel, uh, the um, Jacob's trouble, you can call it. And at the end of the seven years, Revelation chapter 19, verse 
16, Jesus comes back to earth with ten thousands and upon ten thousands upon ten thousands of his saints. That's you and me as the body of Christ. And we are coming back with the, arm, with the armies of heaven. By the way, this is the second judgment. The first judgment was, well, the first coming, I should say, was not for judgment. The second one's more for judgment. Against two, against these type of people who are ungodly, who are uh, false teachers, if you will. Uh, according to Matthew chapter 25, verse 32 and on. Uh, but we come with him and he does all the work, right? We're watching him judge the ungodly. And so very interesting. But Jude ends this section with another statement in verse 16. And we'll end with this. These are grumblers, complainers, walking to, to their own lust. And they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. These are serious issues, guys. Um, Jude tells us plainly that these ungodly men, they're only in it for themselves, right? And their desire is really to draw us away from our relationship with the Lord. And But we are to contend for our faith, right, that was given to us. And we need to be men and women of the word of God. We got to be praying on our knees, really, for that discernment, for that grace from the Lord to be able to discern Who's who? Because they're going to creep into the church. How are you going to address it? Are you going to address it at all? Right? A lot of churches don't. And uh, we need to be walking in the truth and what the Bible says. Not according to our feelings. Not according to popular opinion poll. Not according to anything else but the word of God. Right? We need to just look at the word. That's what it says. That's what I'm going to do. Amen, church? So let's continue to draw close to the Lord and... and, uh, Continue to study the word for ourselves and just know uh, that it's God's church. And he's, he's going to draw his church where he wants. But I want to be the one that wants to be obedient during that time, right? To go wherever the Lord wants. And I know that's the same for you as well. And so uh, I'm encouraged that you guys already are like that. And it's a, that's, we're a blessed church. Did you guys realize that? We really are a blessed church. The more I'm looking into some other churches, it's like, oh, man. <laughs> we got so much going on for us, we don't even realize it. It's so good. But, uh, but with that, protect it. Protect it by staying in the word. Stay in prayer, right? That's, it's, it's, we got to be dependent upon the Lord uh, in all things, even so much so today. But let's go ahead and stand, and uh, we'll go ahead and pray. Give this to the Lord. I think the children's ministry is going to be mad at me. They told me to go longer tonight. But, so, you guys might want to wait another five minutes to get your kids. But let's pray. Lord, thank you so much uh, for tonight. Thank you for your word. And, oh, Lord, it just seems like, oh, I don't want to hear about destruction of the ungodly. And But it's your word, Lord. And it's, it's you who is telling us these things. And it's you who wants to wake us up to this area of realizing uh, that there shouldn't be any compromise within our own hearts. Uh, and I pray, Lord, that we would be uh, walking in the fear of you, that your fear uh, that you've instilled within us, Lord, would protect us, Lord, from uh, gearing away from you as a rebellious uh, a sheep, Lord, would do. Um, protect us, Lord. Watch over us. Keep us safe through your word, Lord, that we would look to you and, and just trust you with our entire life, and, uh, and we do, Lord. We love you, and uh, we give you this night. I pray you protect everyone here uh, on their way home and, and, uh, and be with us. In Jesus' name, amen.